All right. So, um, as we're thinking about making decisions today, you realize that you make thousands of decisions, literally thousands of decisions every day. And a lot of those fall into that category of almost no-brainer, right? You're sitting at your desk with a cup of coffee and with, without any hard, hardly having a conscious thought, you reach out and you grab the cup and you have another drink. Or you're out in public and, you know, people walk by and you, you just notice people and you're turning your head and you notice this or you notice that. On and on it goes with those kinds of almost no-brainer type decisions that you make that I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But then there are some other decisions that call for a little more uh, conscious effort. So, for example, what am I going to eat today might be one of those. What should I wear? Should I go and get my shopping done today or should I do that tomorrow? Those are things that you'll give a little more thought to. But when we get to the next level, you'll think a lot more about it. What college should I attend? Whom should I marry? Should we adopt a child? Are we going to homeschool or make use of public school or private school? What are we going to do about the education of our child? And then it gets even more substantive when you think about what's the career, the vocation I'm going to spend the best years of my life doing? And would it be that God would perhaps want me to go to a mission field somewhere? Those, those are big questions. What if I get an illness and they come back and say, we need you to go through this very difficult regimen, this you know, painful kind of chemotherapy? What am I going to do about that? How do you make decisions? How do you weigh those issues and come out at a point that you're going to do this or that? You say, well, a lot of times I just don't. Well, that's a decision, not to make a decision. How do you go about making decisions? Well, for a lot of people, it primarily falls into three categories. Some, it's all about feelings, right? I got a feeling tonight's going to be a good night. Tonight's going to be a real good, good night, right? Or how can this be wrong when it feels so right? So some of us make decisions all based upon feelings. Others of us go by intuition. I just have a hunch. Uh, I just got it in my gut that this is right. In fact, a recent study uh, by MIT revealed that 80% of major corporations make marketing decisions based upon intuition. Hunches and gut feelings, that kind of thing. And then there are others who uh, analyze, make use of logic. They, they want to know the data. They want to know the probabilities. They bring in the focus groups. They will make the list, pros, cons, and examine it that kind of way. And I'm not discarding all of that. There's, uh, I think, some value in how you're feeling about things and how you intuit things and how you can reason and make sense of things. But uh, I'm just posing the additional question today. What about God? What about bringing God into your decisions? Because after all, He knows everything. 
He knows everything about you. He knows everything about everything. And not only that, He has a purpose and He has plans for everything. So, I'm not trying to give you some paralysis and, oh my goodness, I can't make any decision because I might miss His plan or I might miss His purpose. The point in all that is that God wants you to know His purpose. He wants you to know His plans. In fact, He invites you into all of that. He is a God who is concerned with the details. He cares about the details. You mean he cares about what I'm going to have for lunch after this gathering? Yeah. Sometimes he cares to the point where he says, you make a decision. It's up to you. Other times he cares to the point where he'll stir you about going to a certain restaurant just so that you will interface and interact with a certain wait person or cashier or whomever. He is a God of the details. Just think about that hummingbird. I mean, that thing is like five inches, flapping wings 80 times a second. I mean, you've got to think about that, right? 80 times a second, just so it can hover by a little flower with its specially designed bill that can suck the nectar that is sensitized to the point that it won't suck nectar from anything that has less than 10% sugar. It, you know, sorry, that doesn't have enough. It'll go over here. That's a God who pays attention to details or who creates a spider who not only can expel a silk that is sticky in substance and can capture prey, but once that prey is stuck in its web, then it kicks out a different silk that binds up and ties up the prey. That's a God that pays attention to details. Or how about the human eye? I just can't get over the eye. Sherry's been having a little eye challenge lately. We've been talking to some eye doctors. It is just a remarkable thing how complex... We could talk about, you know, a million things with the body, but with just the eye. When you are in fetal development and that eye is beginning to develop, we're told that there are one million optic nerve endings that at some point in development connect with one million brain nerves. And not just any random connect. Optic nerve number one connects with brain nerve number one. And number 333 connects with number 333. A million times those things connect so that you can process light in a way that it makes sense and you can distinguish characters. And even, men, 10,000 colors. You can see, most of us, a variation of 10,000 different colors. That's a God who pays attention to details. And then, of course, my favorite is just to think about space, the universe, billions of galaxies that are filled with billions of solar systems, all in movement and all in ratio and proportion in such a way that one obscure little planet and one obscure little solar system called Earth can provide and sustain a livable environment for humanity. That is a God who pays attention to details. 
And we're told that he even knows the number of hairs on your head. Friend, he totally cares about your life. He totally cares about all the circumstances and situations that are going on around you and in you. He totally has a plan uh, that fit his purpose, that he invites you into this drama in which he is the great author. And if you are not doing life with God at that level, I'm talking about moving beyond just being a religious person who does religious things on religious days and all that. I'm talking about somebody that has a relationship with a living God who is active and operating in this world and invites us to join him in that. That's exactly the way that Jesus talked about his own life. He is our model. He is our example about what life is supposed to be about. And in John 5.19, Jesus made this confession. I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He does only what He sees His Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus, why are you stopping by this well in Samaria? This is a lousy place for us to be. The Father makes it necessary for me to come here. Well, we're going to go off to town and get some food. You want to come? No, you're just going to stay by that well? Okay. Why? Because the Father had him in Samaria, had him at Jacob's well, just so he could meet the woman of many husbands who needed eternal water, living water from him. It's a God of the details. Are you up on that? Does that make sense to you? Is that something that brings some order to your life? Everything ultimately fits the grand purpose of God. Now, what does that look like? Let me tease it out in this kind of way. In the first place... God is all about displaying His glory. Now, His glory is not so much Himself, because we couldn't behold that, but it's indicators of Himself. It's reflections of Himself so that we can catch glimpses of Him. And when we begin to behold Him, we become aware of our own fallenness. We become aware of our own sinfulness so that we are drawn to the life that is in Him and thereby rejecting the fallen, broken, busted life that is our own. That moves us to begin to behold His glory and see our own fallenness. That moves us to repentance. I want to stop doing life without Him. I want to start doing it with Him. And we begin to believe in who He is and what He's like and what His purpose is and His plans for our lives. And we begin to engage that as people who have been mercifully redeemed. Fallen, broken, busted, and far from Him, He redeems and buys us back from that brokenness so that we are His. The Bible uses this word, Adoption. He adopts us so that you're His son. You're His daughter. You're His family. You have that kind of intimate connection with Him. And the redeemed then spend all time and all eternity glorifying and enjoying God. Friends, this is a light year 
from being religious people who do religious things on religious days. This is life. And we've already been singing about that today. How about it's it's my holy obsession. It's it's what I want more than anything. It's my treasure. It's the things that I live and think and breathe and do. So with that in mind, is there any issue about which there would be any reason that you would not obey God's will? If God was good enough to show you His will about this or that or another decision, If God was good enough to say, I want you to go this way, not that way. I want you to do this, not that. If He was good enough to show you something, is there any issue around which there would be any reason that you would not do His will? Think about it. What issue? What reason? Well, we're looking today at Jeremiah chapter 42. And some of you uh, have been doing this through the Bible reading that we have been about since January 1. And by the time we get to December, we will have read through the whole Bible. If you would like to join us in that journey, we really wish you would. And uh, you see some indicator in your program about how to uh, get that reading plan and just pick it up with us where we are. And start with the readings of this week and begin to to do that week after week. But here we are in Jeremiah 42. And what has been taking place is that the northern kingdom of Israel has already been judged by God, been conquered by Assyria, and been dispersed and scattered across the world. The southern kingdom of Judah has now been judged by God and conquered by the Babylonians. And in the aftermath of their being conquered by the Babylonians, uh, Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. The majority of people were carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon where they were made slaves and servants. And there was a small remnant of people that were left in Jerusalem and in Judah. And and, um, the king of Babylon placed a governor over all of them. By the name of Gedaliah. Uh, There was a little uprising, a little insurrection that you read about in chapter 41. uh, Led by a guy named Ishmael. He comes in and he kills Gedaliah. And uh, several of those officers of that court. Uh, Soon there were some pilgrims, some worshiping pilgrims that came to Jerusalem. Even though the temple was destroyed, they still came uh, at the time of the feast to practice the faith. And they were mourning and they were worshiping before the Lord. about 80 of them. Ishmael tricked them into coming into the palace and he killed all of them. All these bodies have been disposed of by tossing them into an empty cistern. So nobody knows about it for a while. Until a guy by the name of Johanan comes along and he finds out what Ishmael's been doing. He gathers some men. He's going to capture and put an end to all of this. Capture Ishmael. Ishmael gets wind of it and he flees to another country. So, Johanan begins to be the unofficial leader of some of this remnant. Some of these people that are still in the area. 
And they all decide that they're going to flee Judah and go to Egypt. Because Judah has been just wiped out. It's the perfect setup for famine. The king of Babylon is going to come back and inflict more pain, more suffering, more hardships on the people. And so they're like, we're out of here. Let's go to Egypt. But along the way, they decide, but before we carry out that decision, let's pray about it. And so they go and get Jeremiah and they go, Jeremiah, we have decided uh, we're going to go to Egypt, but maybe we ought to pray about it. So would you pray about it? Would you go off and ask God, uh, should we go to Egypt? And then you come back and you tell us what God says and whatever God says we will do. And so Jeremiah makes that commitment. He says, I will. I'll go and pray. And uh, here's where we pick that up in chapter 42, verse 1. So all the commanders of the forces in Johanan, the son of Korea, and uh, Jezaniah, the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, Let our plea for mercy come before you. Pray to the Lord your God for us, for all this remnant, because we are left with but a few as your eyes see us, that the Lord your God may show us the way we should go. And the thing that we should do. So Jeremiah the prophet said, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your request. And whatever the Lord answers you, I will tell you. I will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, may the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to all the word with which the Lord your God sends you to us. Whether it is a good or bad word, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we are sending you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of our God. So you keep reading. Jeremiah prays. A few days go by. Jeremiah returns. He said, I got a word from God. They go, okay, okay, what is the word of God? And Jeremiah says, here's what God says. He says, don't go to Egypt. Stay right here. I know that's kind of scary. I know that's kind of fearful. You think Nebuchadnezzar is coming back. He's going to clobber you even more. Or he's going to make life really difficult and painful for you. But here's what God said. God said, if you will stay right here, I'll bless you. If you will be my remnant right here, I will cause you to have favor with the king. Yeah, but Gedaliah was killed. He's going to come back with vengeance for that murder against his governor and so on like that. No, no. Just... Hear the word of the Lord. Don't go to Egypt. Stay here. Trust me. I'm going to bless. I'm going to give you favor with Babylon. Well, do you even have to guess what happens? They're like, okay, time to go. We're going to Egypt. And not only that, they kidnap Jeremiah and make Jeremiah go with them to Egypt. And all along the way, God keeps saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. If you stay, I'll bless in these kinds of ways. Now, if you disobey me, I am going to come after you in this kind of way. And chapter 43 and 44 talk about the kind of judgment that God's going to bring against them for disobeying him. He has a purpose. He has plans. He is expecting that we will do life with Him in such a way that we will check in with Him and go, okay, what is your pleasure? What is your will about this? And that then we will obey whatever He shows us. 
Why in the world would somebody who begins to get a sense of what God wants them to do, not do it? Why would people disobey? I'm not talking about you, because I know you obey. I'm talking about those other people, right? Why do we disobey? I want to suggest to you five things, and the first is this, pride. We actually think we know better. And so we will have certain feelings, or we will intuit, or we will logically reason something out. And that just makes sense to us, and so we're just going to do that without even bringing God into the equation. Or sometimes we do bring God into the equation, and God says, do this, and we're like, can't do that, won't do that. That is going to be a bad call. Which leads us into the second reason is fear. Because sometimes we fear God's way is going to be a whole lot harder. God's way is going to be a whole lot more painful. And sometimes it is. But would you rather have a God-forsaken way that's less painful in the short term than a God-ordained way that has a little bit of challenge and difficulty or pain in the process? You've got to think about that. So sometimes pride gets in the way. We think we know better. Sometimes fear gets in the way. We're just afraid of what it will mean and what our experience will be like to go God's way. A third reason is greed. Because sometimes God's way calls for us to be sacrificial. We give up our preferences. We give up our possessions and some stuff and some money and some resource and some time and things like that. And we're like, you know, I like my stuff. I like my time. You know, I like my possessions. I, I don't want to give those things up. And then a fourth reason that I would say that we will sometimes disobey God is sloth. We're just careless. We're just not paying attention. We are sloppy about life. And on one hand, I can acknowledge God probably has a purpose. God probably has a plan. God probably has something to say about this issue or this decision. But I'm just kind of cruising along in such a way. I don't even think about that. It doesn't even get on the radar. It's so removed because of my sloppy, slothful living. And then the final thing that I'll say is that uh, some of us really battle with lust. In other words, we have learned somewhere along the way of life to gain pleasure in God-forbidden ways rather than gain pleasure in God-blessed ways. Now listen, God is the one who created us to be pleasurable beings. Wanting pleasure is not a problem. It's wanting the wrong kind of pleasure that is the problem. And the Bible is full of admonitions about us finding our joy in the Lord and our, our, our pleasure in the Lord and in the things of God. Uh, learning to have our greatest joy in His will and in His ways. And if we have learned to have our greatest joy otherwise, friend, we've got some unlearning to do and some new learning to do. And God is all over that. He's totally pleased to bless us with unlearning 
lustful kinds of things and learning holy kinds of things. So what stands out for you in terms of your own challenges to be obedient to God? What gets in the way? Maybe there's another one I haven't even listed. Here's the question. If God was good enough to show you His will about something, whom to date, whom to marry, when or if to have children, where to study, what kind of vocation to do, how to conduct your uh, social engagements, how to use uh, your resources, your time, your talent, your treasure. If He was good enough to show you all those things, would you do it? What is God's will? On the relationship front, God's will is for you by faith in Jesus Christ and the price He paid on the cross so that we can be a forgiven people who can be reconciled to God and have peace with God and relationship with God. His will is that you believe on Jesus and that you have a faith-based relationship with Him. That's His first and foremost will for you. Have you done that? Have you said yes to that invitation? And then relationally after that, His will is that every other relationship, a spouse, a sibling, parents, children, workmates, neighbors, and so on, they all come under that umbrella of your relationship with God so that He directs you in how you treat other people. He transforms you so that you become a loving, kind, thoughtful, generous kind of person. He is all about your relationships with Himself and with others. What's his will regarding discipleship? That is, how Christ is being formed in me. How am I becoming more like Christ today than I was yesterday, than I was a year ago, than I was five years ago? Friends, if you're not more like Jesus today than three, four, five years ago, You've got a serious problem with God's will. Today, you ought to be more loving than you've ever been. You ought to be more serving than you've ever been. You ought to be more sacrificial than you've ever been. You ought to be more generous than you've ever been. That ought to be today your story if you've been in a growing process as a disciple of Jesus. If that's not your story, I used to be better at this than I am today in terms of following Jesus. Friends, that's a problem. That's a real problem. And it's an obedience problem. Your school, your work, God's all about that. There's a certain way He wants you to conduct yourself in these arenas so that there's excellence in the way you apply yourself to your school or or to your work so that there is kind of this capacity where you're like Jesus in the flesh in those arenas. And you're touching people For Christ, and you're blessing people for Christ, and you're performing at a level that He's able to do some equipping in you so that you are growing with these physical skills and abilities that can make a difference in this world. And the whole matter of stewardship and generosity. 
See, all these things are His working in us to make us more like Him. He is a generous God. He lavishes people, this world, us. How do we become those who learn to lavish? Practicing stewardship. Practicing tithing. These things build uh, a generosity muscle in us. It builds a trust muscle. If God leads me to sacrifice some of the things I think I would like to have or do so that those resources can be used to give to this cause or this uh, person or this need. See, that whole transaction not only moves resources to bless someone else, it changes me in the process. Then there's the matter of the ministry in the church. We just talked about that with Katie. There's no problem with God thinking about who needs to serve in the nursery. He's already got that figured out. The question is, have you? Have you heard him about that? There's no question about who ought to be working with our children's ministry. There's no question about who ought to be uh, investing themselves in our youth. There's no question about who should be leading a small group, who should be hosting a small group, who should be working in ESL. ESL is just about to kick off again. Some of you are supposed to be doing ESL, English as a second language. You go, I don't know any other language. Fine. Do you know English? (laughs) That's all we need. You know English. Well, I back up. I know some of you struggle with that. But anyway, I do. But um, what are you going to do in obedience to serving God by serving in His church? And not only in His church, but outside of His church. Ministry happens in the church. Mission happens outside the church. There's all kinds of things that God's stirring in us about various projects that are happening outside the church. You're going to have opportunity to roll your sleeves up and get involved with that. But more than that, way more than that, every time you go to school or work, every time you go to that recreational experience, every time you're in the neighborhood, or you're doing a workout at the sports thing or whatever, you are Jesus in flesh. The word for that is incarnation. He is incarnating himself in you so that wherever you go, there he is. And he has called you. He has asked you. He has invited you to share in his purpose and plan to touch other people, to bless them in his name, to cause there to be good news in and around their life in his name. Now, he showed you all these things. There's, there's a lot more stuff that he needs to show us. But friends, he showed us this much already. You already have an awesome, glorious, powerful life if you just do what you know about these items right here. Amen. Now, about all the rest of it, you go, okay, okay but I've got to make a decision about... This job opportunity or this geographic move or whether we should get a different house or whom I'm supposed to date and marry. Okay, how do you go about all those things? Let me just quickly say this. Ask God. Friend, you cannot bypass asking Him. You go, well, that's where it really begins to slow down. I'm not sure how He's talking or what He's saying and all that kind of stuff. There's not a share group leader here that can't help you with that. Are you in a group? 
talk with your share group leader. Talk with me. We do classes about this. But aside from all that, you know what? For thousands of years, followers of Jesus Christ didn't have a Bible, didn't have a Bible class, didn't have a small group leader, didn't have regular gatherings where they could go and find out how to hear from God. and so They didn't have CDs and tapes and televisions and all these kinds of things. And they had a powerful, dynamic relationship with God. His Spirit is at work in you in ways that activate these things. Become familiar with God's ways. Because when He begins to show you something, when He begins to stir you or speak to you in your prayer, it will be in harmony with His ways. You go, well, how do you know what His ways are? That's the Bible thing, friends. That's why we, across this year, are reading the entire Bible just to get a big picture view of all of His ways. Look at His ways over and over and over. You become familiar with His ways and you begin to get a little stirring or an impression in your heart. You go, oh, that's God. That fits His ways. And then, of course, God uh, puts godly others around you because He loves you. You've got some of those in your group. You say, well, I'm not exactly in a group. Get in a group. He's put others around you in this room. He's put others around you in our greater leadership team. Learn how to consult with godly others about those kinds of issues. And the last thing I'll say is be committed to obey. Be predisposed. Whatever God shows me, whatever I begin to sense is His will or His way, I'll do it. Now, the followers of Johanan said that. Jeremiah, you go and pray. We will do whatever God shows us. We just hope it's what we want to do. But even if it's not what we want to do, we're going to do it. Jeremiah prays. Jeremiah comes back. God wants you to stay, not go to Egypt. Oh, well, we're going to Egypt. They weren't committed to doing what God said do. Are you? I mean, you just have to be honest with yourself. So, let's wrap it up. Friend, I'm calling for you to make a decision today. No decision is a decision. But if you will make a God-honoring decision in light of this hour... It will be one more step in the transforming work that God has for you, that He dreams for you, that He desires for you. Will you believe that God will redeem and adopt you? Now, if you haven't settled that issue yet, you're one of those that's been traveling with us and seeking along the way and trying to get a few questions answered and so on like that, then it just may be that today is your day to make that decision. You've examined enough evidence. You've considered enough things. You've wrestled with whatever feelings and intuitions you have. Okay, how about today? Will you believe? If you will, I'm going to ask you to take that connection card that we mentioned early in the service, flip it over, and where it says, have a relationship with Jesus, check that. I, I want to believe and have that relationship. And friend, I'll be pleased to, to follow up with you in whatever way that would be helpful to you. Will you commit to obey God in whatever He asks?
That's a decision. He asks you something about your stewardship. Will you do it? He asks you something about your service. Will you do it? He asks you something about your relationships, how you're treating your spouse, how you're treating your children, how you're treating some uh, workmates and some neighbors. Will you do it? Will you pursue and do God's will in every detail? You go, well, I know I'm not perfect. I know I won't do that perfectly right. No, you make that decision. You make that commitment. And if along the way you trip and stumble and something doesn't happen, okay, that's where repent, ask forgiveness, get up, go on, start it all over again. But to make a decision that says, that's too big, I can't make that decision, friends, you've got to figure that out. That's pride. That's fear. That's some kind of greed thing. That's a lust thing. What, I don't, you've got to figure that out. And get over that so that you can be obedient. This has been, by His grace, a divine appointment. Amen. The God of details knew that we would gather in this place in this hour for this conversation for purposes that He might bless you in your decision making. Let me pray for you. So Father, You are gracious. You are merciful. You are patient and long-suffering. Some of us have been dragging heels for a long time. And you bring us to a moment like this. Would you empower us to get over whatever barrier we've got about being obedient? Will you empower us to take a step beyond our stuff, beyond our excuses, to live as a son? To live as a daughter of the Most High God. We pray in your name. Amen.